and welcome to the latest edition of Seattle Nice. I'm David Hyde here, as always, with Erica C. Barnett. Hi, Erica. Hello. And Sandeep Kashik. What's going on, Sandeep? Hey, happy, uh, happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, to both of you. So today, we've got two topics, two scintillating topics as always. The first kind of stems from a column that Sandeep noticed in the Seattle Times by John Talton. We're not going to talk about that column. We're going to talk about the headline, which is something like, you know, would Seattle be better off without Amazon? I don't think that's the headline, but that's what we're going to be talking about. Second topic, though, which will be the first one we'll be talking about is the Seattle City Council. Another incumbent council member, Alex Peterson of the 4th Council District, deciding he's not going to run. There's some, you know, talk about like what's going on here? Everybody's leaving. I looked back, you know, to check on that and in 2019 and what was the other one? 2015, there were more or the same number of council member incumbents deciding not to run. So there's no sort of panicked trend here, I don't think, but who wants to start? So, so I think What's going on here? I mean, you know, so Alex Peterson is not running. He says it's, you know, to spend more time with his family and that his family has been hit hard by sort of and he himself has been hit hard by sort of the toxicity of uh, being on the council and, um, you know, taking flack from both the public and, you know, inner council conflicts. I, you know, I think that there's there's something to that, certainly. I mean, that is why that is similar to the reason that Lisa Herbold said she was um, also stepping down. You know, it's a it's a shitty job in a lot of ways. And, you know, I, I, I've i said this before on this podcast. I think, I, you know, I, it's amazing to me that people keep running for it. And yet they do. Um, so, you know, that's, it's not, it's not terribly surprising. Now, Alex Peterson, of course, like his predecessor, um, was new to elected office and, you know, relatively new to the city council. He'd been an aide to Tim Burgess before, but, um, but, you know, I mean, his predecessor, Rob Johnson, of course, stepped down before the end of this, his term, citing almost identical reasons. And, uh, and so, you know, I, so so the reason I think that there's there, there's both something to what he says and and something a little self serving about what he says is that you know I mean it the council has always been a tough job it has always been toxic and Alex Peterson is sort of well known um, among his constituents for not being particularly responsive not being a guy who's out there a lot talking to people particularly people that disagree with him. Um, and, you know, maybe this is self-serving on my part, but I will just say he has never returned one call or one email, nor has anyone at his office um, in the entire time he's been on the council. I believe Toby Thaler, his lead aide, may have responded a couple times early on. But for the most part, I mean, just not a responsive guy. People complain about it on Twitter. People complain about it to me uh, in emails saying, you know, tried to contact Alex Peterson with these concerns, and he's, he just doesn't respond. So, you know, I, I think in some ways he was a bad fit for the job. Well, God, there's a lot to uh, unpack there. Um, look, I, I, I think there is a strain of toxicity that runs through Seattle municipal politics these days. I don't think it's the same as it ever was. I really think the sea change happened, frankly, when, when Chama Sawant got elected to the – initially got elected to the council, and she significantly – change the culture of the council and how the council members relate to each other, I think, in a way that, um, you know, is pretty toxic. You don't have to sit through too many city council meetings when she pulls out her full vanguard of red shirt to, like, you know, shout and yell obscenities at council members. That, that She's been quieter about that kind of stuff recently, but, you know, there have been times when I've been in the city council chamber for it feels like the whole thing's going to devolve into a fucking riot. Like, you know. Um, so you're talking uh, about so, pre-pandemics. You're going back that far. 
I am, I am talking about though that there, there, there was there was a lot of that, a lot more of that pre-pandemic. But then when you look back at what happened in 2020 and 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 for a while subsequently to it, doesn't matter where you were on the political spectrum, whether you're a left activist, whether you're a kind of center left sort of sort of a more establishment type, they all took an enormous amount of 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 heated uh, flack, protests at their house. You know, we've talked about this before. Deborah Juarez is still mad about some of the things that happened. And contrary to you, you Erica, I talked to Alex Peterson this week. We had a very good, you know, we had a, I, I reached right, out to him. Right, because he agrees nice... with you, of course. I mean, absolutely. Uh, yeah, he, he loves to talk to his supporters. I, I don't, well, I don't you, deny that. He doesn't like talking to people who disagree with him. I mean, this is just a well, very well-established fact, Sandeep. If you were yeah. if you were a giant critic of Alex Peterson, he would not be, you know, sort of Look, talking I, to I, you I on this. the phone as his supporter. Like, that's just I, yeah, yeah, You want to make it out that all his constituents are unhappy with him, Un, unlike your favorite all. council member, Lee— I, well, unlike your favorite council member, Lisa Herbold, I think Alex was actually well positioned to get elected in his district. His polling numbers in his district are are um, are are much much better than most of well, the uh, most of his colleagues on the council. So, and and uh, you know, in, in my conversation with him, I think he cited the the toll of being in the public eye in municipal elections in recent years, in municipal office in recent years, in Seattle took on 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 him and particularly his family. And I think we've heard Lisa say something similar and um, some of the other council members. And I do think there's a kind of, um, as I said, toxicity in Seattle politics these days that – as you said, make it a shitty job in some ways. In other ways, it's a fantastic job, right? I actually think city government is still the place where you can have a real impact. You know, Alex Peterson gets elected in the toxic uh, bike versus parking lane controversy over 35th (laughs) Avenue Northwest. I mean, that was, talk about toxic. You know, there was fist fights and claims of like, Sabotage, right? I mean, I don't remember the whole thing, but it like there's a whole Rob bunch Johnson, of shit. His, and, his uh, right. to resign, right, right, so, right, and yeah. and so so he ran where like the most absurd level of toxicity, in my opinion, over like a fucking bike lane versus a parking lane. My God, it's like the world's gonna end either way. You know, I reported on that, and I got totally harassed by both sides for supposedly being like in uh g- being fed information from the mayor's office the bike people accused me of that and the parking lane people they wrote my boss and like tried to get me fired for how how pro bike i was i mean it was like talk about toxicity and if if he didn't like that why did he run in the first place he ran amidst toxicity uh, over over absurdity what was he expecting you know rob johnson resigned um rather than continue like for one freaking term um, you know, I don't know if like if, if there's a an, uh, an epidemic of fragility in that district or if people just kind of keep running and thinking city council is not going to be a controversial job. But, you know, I mean, bike lanes are always really controversial. They're still really controversial. We haven't finished the freaking Burt Gilman uh, bike path. So, um, if, yeah, I mean, if, if Peterson thought that it was going to be a smooth ride just because um, he himself is, uh, you know, on the other side of where Rob Johnson was on that bike lane issue, um, you know, I, I don't think that's in fact, you know, one of the first meetings um, that I went to after Peterson got elected was about bike lanes. It was about bike lanes on East Lake. And, you know, uh, a large group of bike activists showed up 
And, uh, and we're kind of silenced at this meeting because it was like a moderated question meeting. And going back to my earlier point, you know, his aides, Toby Thaler and his eight other aides at the time picked questions that were really friendly to Peterson. And the bike activists, you know, were steamed at the end because uh, they didn't feel like he was listening to them. So, um, you know, so I, I, yeah, I think the council has been toxic for a really long time. And I don't think Shama Sawant made, you know, the issue of bike lanes, you know, be a toxic issue in Seattle or any other issue. Like, I, I don't disagree with you, Sandeep, that like that some of those meetings um, were chaotic in the past, but that's not going on now. Um, I don't think Shama is, you know, a going uh, concern when it comes to disrupting meetings or anything like that. I mean, the meetings are running pretty smoothly under Deborah Juarez's leadership. So, um, you know, it's it's just it's it's a, I'll go back to what I said. It's kind of a shitty job. People are going to hate you. And, um, you know, and, and in 2020, people showed up at people's houses. Um, they left notes on Peterson's doorstep. They, uh, you know, again, I'll point out through a brick through Lisa Herbold's window. So. Um, a different faction of folks. So um, I'm just, I'm not sure that this is the entirety of why Alex Peterson is resigning. I don't think we should take any politician purely at their word. Yeah. Um, some of that, some of that stuff is not just, uh, or at least shouldn't be normalized. Like, like throwing a brick through someone's window or showing up there at their house or hassling their, you know, frightening their kids or, 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 or making their family feel, uh, you know, unsafe in their own residence, like that crosses the line from kind of legitimate, like, you know, public commentary or protest or whatever and into, you know, into harassment and, and, and into a kind of, you know, ugly toxicity that, drives people away, whether, you know, you're a huge Lisa Herbal fan and she's leaving in part because of the vibe of the council these days. Um, Alex is leaving in part for similar reasons. Um, so, uh, you know, it's not, um, this is not something that got invented in 2020, but, I, uh, and it did pre, pre, there was certainly controversy and negativity pre Shama Sawant, but I do think the vibe and the culture of the council changed for the worst. Um, uh, largely under the, 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 um, the impetus of the kind of politics that, that, that Chama brought to the, brought to the council when she got elected. Well, I mean, people showing up at council members' houses was, uh, you know, in, during the George Floyd protests and protests against police brutality, that was not a Shama-led um, thing. I, I'm sure Shama loves credit, so I'm sure she would love to take credit for it. But, um, I, if I were you, I wouldn't give her credit for that, um, you know, I, I will say also, I mean, to, to the point of like of why Peterson's stepping down. I mean, if you look at and, and D- David, I know that like getting into council members records can can lead us down wonky rabbit holes. So I'll be really brief about this. But I'm not sure that, you know, that Alex Peterson, I don't know what he came on the council to accomplish. Um, and I'm not sure what his accomplishments are. He um, he cast a lot of obstructionist votes. He sort of pouted about the concept of. Um, non-binding resolutions and, you know, made some progress towards, you know, allowing him and Sarah Nelson to sit out nine non-binding resolution votes, like, you know, condemning Iran or whatever. But, um, it, it you know, I, I, his record has primarily been, you know, endless budget provisos, voting against the budget, um, you know, uh, he passed a rent transparency bill that I actually thought was a good bill if, you know, for kind of sketchy, uh, questionable reasons around um, not allowing development. Bruce Harrell vetoed it. So I don't know, Sandeep, do you do you have a sense of I mean, am I missing something? Does he have like a positive legacy that um, that I'm not uh, that I'm giving short shrift to? 
Sure, he had a, Alex had a, had a significant impact on the council. I think one of the things, well, you seem to be objecting the fact that he just wasn't like part of some kind of like, you know, the, the, the performative, you know, no, the performative propose, left activism no, and, the, and the left supermajority and the fact that, that he was passed. in the minority on, on, he didn't on propose some things. legislation that got passed. He didn't have an agenda. And he didn't promote an agenda. I mean, tell me, I what was his he, agenda I, that did that, that he failed to pass I, because I, of the I think performative he was a, left? I think he was often a voice of, of sanity and common sense on a council that Can lost an its example? bearings and, and, and went off. And well, I think the stuff about the, 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 the silly resolution stuff and the fact that he made an issue of it, I think, is significant. And why they're and, still passing them. Uh, they just passed one the other day. Anyway, I mean, it, we can, we, he led I, the renewal of Seattle's transportation benefit district, which was approved by 80% of voters, for one thing. He did. I, I, as, I'm as reading the from the press release committee. here. Right. I will say I did that campaign, right, where we, where we passed increased, uh, increased funding for transit, and Alex was an active – uh, actively engaged in putting the package together and then um, uh, supporting it when uh, it was on the ballot. So absolutely, there's other, there's other stuff too. You know, I mean, there was he got he. By the way, he didn't always vote too. Uh, you know, in a kind of entirely predictable way, like Alex, um, uh, led the charge on that legislation he wanted. Which Erica, you will know more more about this about um uh, uh about landlords having to disclose. That's what um, I mentioned. The rent yeah. transparency. Yeah. 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 Which the rent transparency vetoed. stuff. Like. Yeah. But 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 which was sort of a a a a cause that was really sort of sort of you know I think more beloved on the on the left and sort of sort of you know kind of broke the the expected mold of what you'd uh, except what that you'd it was except that as I said the reason he supported it was because it would prevent development where there are old apartment buildings and old duplexes and old single family houses I mean yes it was ultimately you know as as someone you know who's been a renter for a long time I mean rent transparency is great and I'm I was bummed that uh Harold vetoed that bill but and and Shama Sawant was the other big uh proponent of that so it was you know an interesting, although I think I predicted this when Peterson was elected, that they would end up being allies on a lot of things because they're both anti-development for different reasons. But I, I, I just I just don't think I think the fact that we're both kind of struggling on this is, just shows like that when, you know, in 10 years, I don't think we're going to be talking about, you know, the legacy of Alex Peterson and his legislation on the council. You know, if this was the Congress, Peterson's in the minority. Uh, you know, over the next two years, how many legacy votes are we going to see from the Democrats that represent Washington State in the U.S. House? We're not. We're going to see almost nothing, right? Peterson has a, has a few accomplishments, but my question for both of you, I guess, would be: Okay, why not wait? It's possible that he would be in some sort of majority or start to gain some power. I mean, other council members are you know serve for years and years and years. Uh, you know, I, I get this. I mean, you know, I, I had heard not from him directly that threats against his kids, you know, that could really affect you. So I, I'm, I'm sympathetic to that. Obviously, I get that. And I, I could see that as being a reason where maybe his family didn't want him to run. Everybody's like, I'm gonna spend more time with the family. Like, okay, maybe that's like what happened. But like, just in terms of the political legacy, it seems weird that he would be so impatient if it's true that he felt like he was kind of a little bit ineffective and hadn't done that much. And I don't know, Sandeep, what you think. Do you think he feels like he's got this amazing record of accomplishments and he's sad to be leaving because he's done so much? I mean, what? how how different 
a point of view do you really have from Erica's in terms of what he's? I do have a very. I, I, I sure. I had this. I had this conversation as I said with Alex this week. I think Alex feels very good about his time on the council and and his track record on the council. I think, um, absent the the negativity and the toxicity, I think he'd be happy to run again. And I do think, um, you know, he he's optimistic that the that the that the sort of um that the vibe of the council uh and and the and the sort of ideological bent of the council is may change in these 2023 elections so this is not about him being impatient or misreading the tea leaves or something this is simply uh what he's saying it is that um in the interests of sort of uh listening to the concerns of his family and the uh, and, and the negativity surrounding the job, he wanted to, you know, he decided not to not to run again. If he had run again, as I said, I think he's well, he would have been well positioned to win. And I think that, you know, a, a counterpoint to um, he couldn't get anything done because he's the, you know, he's like the Democrats being in the minority is Sarah Nelson. I mean, Sarah, and, and talk about, you know, contributing to the toxicity of the council. I mean, a lot of those very public battles that are kind of nasty and and that, that are visible to the public have happened, you know, between Sarah Nelson and other council members. But guess what? She wanted bonuses for police officers this year. That was her biggest issue, I would say, in the budget. And she got it. Um, and she is, you know, I would say to the right of Alex Peterson on a lot of issues. Um, they don't always vote the same way. And yet, you know, she's on the council and she's getting things done that she wants. So I don't think it's impossible for somebody who's, you know, on the right end of, you know, of our uh, Democratic uh, city council, um, you know, however you want to define that, it can't get anything done. But let me just ask this. <laughs> if, if both of you had to give Alex Peterson a power ranking, you know, see the power rankings of members of Congress oh. and Patty Murray, and, you know, they, they give these folks power ratings, We're, you know, and let's just say, I don't know, who's the most powerful council member this session? I'm not really sure. But, you know, let's just say, like, one of them gets a eight or a nine or a 10 or something like that. Where would you put Peterson, Erica? Two. Oh, I'd put it much higher than that. I think he had 9.5. No, I don't know. I don't know what the number is. Look, I, I, in terms of who's sort of driving the, the, the bus at the council right now, I really think, um, probably the, the, the most powerful council. I mean, Deborah Juarez is a council president and she has a lot of power and authority, but Deborah is leaving and, is, you know, and is, has, has not officially announced it, but has publicly said she's not, she intends not to run for another term. But I would say it's Teresa. But you're giving Peterson. You're not gonna. You're not gonna answer the question. You don't know what his power rating would be. Oh, I mean, on a scale Five, of one to ten, ten. You, you know, I mean, I don't. I don't know what I'm judging here. All right. Right. All right. <laughs> I gave him a two, and I didn't even have to say why. So you could give him yeah. a number. Between, I, I, I don't know what number I would give. That. <laughs> all right. Like, all right. All right. <laughs> I feel like that's a little question. telling. I'm sorry, Sandeep, to press you, but I feel like that's a little telling that you're not you're not coming up with a number there. Um, well, I, you know, I, I, I think he had a. a, a first of all, I think I think Alex's election uh, had a significant counterbalancing effect to the to the left activist supermajority. So I would say I don't know seven. You want a number? I'll I'll say seven. Wait, you're okay. saying so? You're saying Rob Johnson was part of the left activist supermajority? No, I'm saying that in the after the 2019 elections, where he was elected along with what 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 became the left activist supermajority, and and had, that made this like ridiculous sort of like performative turn in 2020 that we've gone over a million times, and like you know, um, and and he was you know he's one of the look 
He, you you want to know his impact? He's one of the the two council members that stood up to the wacko radicals and said, "I'm not going to defund cops by fifty percent." He was a friggin' voice of sanity when the entire rest of the city lost its collective mind and went into like sort of cloud cuckoo defund abolition land. So you know, absolutely, I, I would uh, that alone. I thank Alex Peterson for standing up uh, from uh, the 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 bullying and the attacks and the bullshit and the and the wacko performative leftism that ended up tripping up people like your your favorite council member Lisa Herbel. Well, I mean, I'm not even going to go down that rabbit hole. I think that I think that what you're saying is very revealing, Sandeep. That's all. I mean, I just yeah. think I, I just think that you know. Uh, the fact that you were still obsessed with the idea that at one point some people were in favor of funding things other than police with the money that we spend on police, which is the largest item in our budget. Um, the fact that briefly we considered funding other things um, and did not do it. Um, <laughs> is that what was going on in 2020? I didn't know and that. Did, and uh. did not. Yeah, well, you didn't follow the budget very closely, and we did on public yeah. So um, yeah. So I followed the pledges from all the council members. Well, all the seven well I, of them I suggest reading Publicola the- because we covered very closely what they would what they were actually proposing. But anyway, I, I, I think it's telling that like that that you took away from that a, um, you know, a yeah. soundbite and not actually what was going on. But anyway, well, a, a, a it, it's exactly why admiration it, for Alex Peterson. I do have admiration for Alex Peterson and for Deborah Juarez for the two council members that stood up against an enormous pressure at the time to say, no, this is bullshit and it's stupid and I'm not endorsing that pledge. And good, you know, kudos to them for that, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, you know, I, I wonder, like, uh, Alex Peterson leaving, I wonder, you know, he was one of the Amazon endorsed candidates, wasn't he, back in 2019? Who ended up still who ended up winning? One of the few. One of the two. Was it two? Wow, you're asking me to remember back <laughs> two of the seven. Uh, Four whole years. He, 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 I think I think that, was, that sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. His his race ended up being a lot closer, a lot closer than uh than it was going to be because of the backlash over over the the, the Amazon um million dollar contribution fiascos. That that said he did win and um uh, and he continued, as I've said, to have a, a strong base within the district. Unlike some of the other council members, I think he was in a he was in a better position had he run. Well, speaking of Amazon, there is a uh, uh, article in the paper today, or sorry, a couple days ago in Seattle Times, imagining a Seattle if Amazon had never nested here. I wonder if that's a good question. I mean, it seems like it's a question that's kind of been underlying Seattle politics ever since 2019, at least, if not a little bit earlier, right? So what is it a good question to ask, I guess, is my first question. And, and what answer would both of you give it? I, I mean, I can I can go first. I mean, I, I think it's an interesting question to ask. Um, you know, I think that the good of Amazon is, you know, as as this article pointed out, you know, a lot of tax revenues have come in, particularly um, since the city um uh, impose the jumpstart tax, which is a tax on um, the the largest businesses and um, their payrolls. Um, so, so that's that's the plus side. Um, a lot of new residents, you know, have brought in um, arguably, you know, more big city type of stuff. You know, more restaurants, um, more just just kind of more life into the city. Um, 
the downside is, I don't know, is that life happening in South Lake Union? I, I never go there and it seems to shut down at night. Um, and, you know, a lot of the stuff that Amazon is, you know, ostensibly trying to pay the city back for is uh, is stuff that they produced, like the lack of, uh, of, of affordable housing. Now, the, the, that's also the result of city policy. We don't build enough housing. But, you know, when you bring in these incredibly high paying jobs into a city and tens of thousands of them, you know, it just upends the whole economics of it. Like, I'm glad there are, you know, lots of new restaurants, but I can't afford to go to them. So, um I guess it's not really an answer so much as, uh, you know, here's the plus and the minus. Well, I will say this. I think I think overall, yes, absolutely. Amazon has been a net uh, positive force um, in, in the city of Seattle. Let me let me explain that by 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 giving you the, the, the current example, which is that city leaders, I think, are worried and, and really need to be, uh, I think, even more concerned of what the impacts are going to be if. All of those workers, you know, the 50,000 people that, that Amazon employs in the city of Seattle don't come back to South Lake Union ever, right? I mean, all of the tech companies have been sort of grappling with the, the, the sort of post pandemic reality of how, um, the culture of work has changed and whether people are going to continue working from home or not, or whether they're going to implement hybrid models or bring everybody back to the office. And the fact is that the impacts on South Lake U- U- Union of, of of Amazon not bringing workers into the office has been massive in the last couple of years, and if that becomes the 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 new permanent model, I think it's going to have significant negative impacts for the vitality of South Lake Union and downtown in general. So I think I think that's a different uh, question, yeah. though. I mean, was, would it would it in, have been better way. if they had never come? Yeah. Well, so I, 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 it's a first of all, I don't think I, I I think Erica, you would agree with this that that cities are not static entities, right? Like cities have to constantly like grow and change and evolve in order to be successful. If they don't, they stagnate and decline, right? And so I I, I will say there were some forces at work, broader national forces about the emergence of a kind of knowledge and tech economy, right? That predate Amazon coming to Seattle that were, that were already going to reshape Seattle. And I, I can, uh, going back to when Greg Nichols, I worked on Greg Nichols campaign when he was, when he lost, right? When he was running for a third term in 2009. And I remember doing that campaign, sitting down with Greg and we were talking about how to talk about the problems that Seattle was facing back then in 2008. And, and, the the mayor then, Greg Nichols, was described it as Seattle's a great place. Yes, we have these growing problems around inequality, cost of housing, kind of the same stuff we're ta- still talking about today. But those are the problems of success, right? Those are the problems of successful cities that are growing and lots of people are coming here. How do we maintain our infrastructure? How do we build enough housing to house them? You know, those challenges are the challenges created by success and not the challenges created by failure. And I moved here from a failing city, Cleveland, Ohio. And you want to talk about a dying narrative about a city? Talk about Cleveland 20 years ago. Well, anyway, Erica. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, though, that things have changed quite a bit since Nichols was in office. I moved here a little bit before you, I think. And um, but, you know, near the beginning, a little before the beginning of the Nichols administration. um, And I think when you talk about what the problems that we, when you talk about the problems that we have today, it's primarily homelessness and lack of housing affordability. And I don't, I don't think you, Sandeep, would call that the problem of success. I mean, when you go out on the street in Seattle compared to other cities, 
um, that are not on the, you know, big West Coast tech hubs like San Francisco, like Seattle, um, you don't see the same kind of problems at the same scale that we have, particularly with unsheltered homelessness. And I think that that actually is something that, you know, we need to reckon with as we look at, you know, people coming in that have jobs that, you know, are not easily transferable to other people. I can't go out and get a tech job at $200,000 a year. I mean, we're just living in two different, like, not just economic classes, social classes. I mean, even really different cities. And um, and so I, I do think that it is quite a bit different than things were, you know, 22 years ago. And, and you mentioned the city that you moved from Cleveland. I moved here from Austin, a city that I think has been ruined by um, by tech money. And I think Seattle, you know, is in danger of going down that path as well, particularly, you know, with the incredible inequality. I mean, you know, when I moved here, um, housing was a little more expensive than it was when uh, when I moved from Texas. But not really. I mean, you know, I was working at uh, Seattle Weekly. I was making I don't know how many, not very much money, you know, $32,000 a year or something. And I could afford an apartment and I lived by myself and I could save money and it was fine. I mean, and I, and yes, have things changed for everybody since 20 years ago? Absolutely. Everywhere around the country, it's harder. But, um, you know, you can draw a line from when big tech money arrived in Austin um, and when it became impossible to buy a house. I could I could buy a house when I lived in Austin. Um, I, I didn't, but I could afford to. And and now that dream is like even more out of reach there, I think, than it is here. And I think we are we're going in that direction. Um, and again, you know, we're a city of renters now and we're a city of renters largely because there's not enough housing and people can't afford to buy a place if they aren't rich already. Yeah. And, and let me be clear here. I'm not saying that like everything has been sweetness and light, you know, but with the massive influx of 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 uh, the rise of of tech in Seattle, of a, of a tech economy in Seattle. I mean, it has had um, impacts that have exacerbated like, like ongoing problems, but I don't know that, that, that it wasn't inevitable. Even if it hadn't been Amazon, it would have been someone else. Like when I moved to Seattle in 2002 and I was living on Capitol Hill in the Biltmore, my next door neighbor was like a 25 year old guy that, that was a, a, a coder at Microsoft. Right. And I remember going, in fact, I wrote a piece for the stranger about like, it was one of my first month in Seattle going out and hanging out with him and all of his like, you know, fresh face, like, um, um, upwardly mobile tech 25 year old friends and having a conversation about why they thought Seattle sucks and, and that kind of stuff. So that's going back. That is going back 20 years. Now, those, those issues and those problems have just become that much more magnified and, and, and more front and center because inequality has continued to rise. Rents have continued to rise. I mean, for much of the last decade, we've been the fastest growing city, big city in the United States, right? And so the challenge that that rapid growth has created um, and the pressures that it's created, especially when the people moving here tend to be coming for these high paid tech jobs and are sort of wealthier and better off than the people that, that were here before, right? So that creates this kind of, um, uh, dynamic, right? That's, that, that, that does create problems. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, there's no I, question about that. And mm-hmm. I, I think you can't even, I mean, to, to, to go uh, to sort of contra- not even to contradict myself, but to add on to what I said, you know, this wouldn't be a problem. I mean, uh, you know, I am uh, I'm also I'm from a city that grows and grows and grows and grows, which is Houston. And they have a shit ton of tech jobs also like it is, you know, Texas is growing incredibly rapidly. But I would say compared to Houston and um 
you know, Austin and Seattle are both incredibly NIMBY cities and Seattle, you know, in particular, and the same thing with San Francisco, we don't build enough housing. And so what happens, you know, the, the tech person who moves in next to you at the Biltmore, who moves in next to me, you know, at uh, my apartment, I mean, this happened at my, my last place, uh, Judkins Park, you know, they're able to spend uh, $3,600 on housing that, you know, ordinarily without, without, you know, if there had been more housing for them at the very high end, uh, they could have taken that housing. I could be living in the apartment they took, you know, and someone with less money than me, someone just starting out could live in my apartment. But we just all have to share this limited amount of housing that because we refuse to build anything in this city. Um, so, you know, in we, part, we are, yeah, we are building housing. We're just not building. I mean, compared to San Francisco, I would, I went on a, uh, oh, San Francisco is dare- insane. Yes, yeah, so terrible. And uh, I actually, uh, it must have been six or seven years ago. And uh, I, I actually went on one of those chamber junkets, you know, like, like, like tour another city thing. And we went to San Francisco and, um, and one of the presentations that was, uh, was a public affairs consultant there. It was like, we envy you all in Seattle because you all are building all this housing. We can't build anything here. And they were talking about Hala and, and you know, and, the, and that kind of stuff. That said, I'm with you. We, we, we have not kept pace. And when I moved in the Biltmore in my one bedroom apartment in 2002, when I first moved here in August of 2002, I was paying $850 a month in rent. You know, I mean, uh, it's kind of, kind of laughably low now. Um, given that, you know, rents in Capitol Hill are probably what, like, 2500 bucks for a for for uh, you know I have no idea what the, what a, what what an apartment in the Biltmore costs these days probably something like that um so so yes uh we need given the rapid pace of growth we do need to build more housing i think one of the positive things on, on to note is how rapidly i think attitudes political attitudes in the city have changed around density um even uh, five, six, seven years ago, there was a, a kind of old Seattle contingent, a majority, I would say, that said they didn't, you know, single family, um, zoning was sacrosanct and shouldn't be touched. There was a huge blow up in the holla process about it, as you recall, Erica, like, um, uh, you know, a, a, a kind of massive, freak out that, oh my God, we might loosen, you know, slightly loosen zoning. And, well, you know, I, I, there's definitely, uh, you know, there's definitely two sides to this issue still in the city, but I think the the momentum is all on the side for let's figure out more ways to make it easier to build more housing and and uh, do infill and create density, and and I, I think we're both in agreement that that's a good thing. Um, and, and, and we need to do more of that, but it's remarkable. I, the, the chamber just did that poll a few months ago that shows that attitudes on, on that kind of, um, uh, you know, urbanist thinking around density has just been moving like a rocket in fa- you know, in, in a favorable direction over, uh, in recent years. So, so I, I, I think, ur- ur- I think urbanism, various forms of urbanism are the future of Seattle. Is it that's you know Amazon's uh, uh, been this terrible influence or this fantastic influence, and you both want to be these kind of reasonable moderates, like basically saying that well, it's sort of a mixed bag. I mean, it's kind of shocking and disappointing. This is Seattle nice. I want to hear more of a stark contrast. Either it's good or it's bad. It can't be anything in the middle. Like so, this is my question. It seems like critics of Amazon feel like this company uniquely more so than even Microsoft or other companies 
doesn't get that. It opened up this spigot of money, which had poured around the Puget Sound, massively increasing inequity and just raising the cost of things. And yes, they went up everywhere, but they went up more here. It happened so quickly, so fast. And, you know, did did Amazon play the right role? Would, have an, would another company have kind of responded differently? That's the criticism that I sometimes hear of Amazon is that like, sure, they're a corporate you know, entity and, you know, it could have happened to anyone, but like, did they, did they sort of step up to the plate? So, you know, how have the politics kind of played out since then, back to that 2019 election, Amazon was like offended by the way it was being talked about by the city. And it said, you know, we're going to put our fingers on the scale and invest a bunch of money and try to try to rig things in our favor. And that didn't work out. So anyway, long winded question, but just what about Amazon's responsibility and its corporate citizenship or corporate ethics in in this universe that it helped create? Well, I mean, as like, you know, fundamentally an anti-capitalist, like I think any company would be uh, would would have done the same thing. I don't think that there's like a great example of wonderful corporate citizenship among tech companies in particular. So I don't know if it was Twitter, would that have been better? If it was Facebook, would that have been better? Like, I mean, what are our while we're while we're talking counterfactuals? Like, I don't know, man, like Amazon sucks, but so does every other tech company. Um, so, you know, I guess this is why it's kind of like delving into counterfactuals is fun, but sort of pointless because, you know, as Sandeep said, like we were kind of on this, you know, nationwide, there's this trajectory towards uh, the tech economy. It was going to happen regardless, you know, in Seattle, as you said, David, um, and sorry to be the mushy moderate agreeing with everybody, but like, as you said, I mean, you know, the, the, the issue is that we don't have housing. And so I, I don't want to, I don't want to blame Amazon for that. Now, did we have to force them to pay taxes, uh, you know, to sort of compensate for their impacts under the jumpstart tax? Yes. Um, and, you know, there was, uh, there was a lawsuit and they're, you know, they definitely fought that, but, um, you know, corporations are going to corporation. So I, I don't, um, you know, I, I, I just, I don't see a counterfactual where there would have been a better corporation that came in and, uh, and, you know, and was responsible about the way they impacted the city. I actually think Amazon has evolved a lot from say back 10, 12 years ago, like 2010 was when they made their big announcement, right? That they were going to move into kind of South Lake Union and downtown, downtown Seattle. And, um, and back then, I think Amazon was still, it was a little like, like Microsoft in the nineties, this company that had, it was like a kind of, uh, overgrown teenager in some ways. It's com- this, this, uh, company that had grown into a kind of mammoth, uh, force and growing company, but still its internal culture had not, uh, you know, evolved to, to, to really kind of understand the implications of that and respond to it in a constructive way. And so I do think back then they were very civically disengaged in Seattle and they kind of thought, Hey, we're going to waltz in and we're going to create all these jobs and create all this wealth and, 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 you know, and everybody's going to, you know, welcome us with open arms and we will be beloved. And then, of course, that didn't happen because problems resulted. They were civically disengaged. They weren't engaging in problems like affordable housing or, or, or other sorts of issues in the city. Um, those problems d- tended to get worse. There was a sort of backlash from people like Shama Sawant, who was kind of running around. It wasn't her tax proposal that got, got, 
got approved, but she was, you know, running around standing outside the Amazon headquarters, you know, yelling in a megaphone, you know, fuck Amazon and tax Amazon and all that kind of kind of stuff, which obviously kind of rubbed people Those over there like two, the wrong two way. And so I think one of the unfortunate Amazon things is as tax Amazon, it seemed pretty different. But well, yeah. well, what? Well, right, or, or 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 what she called the Amazon tax. Right. It, in other words, this wasn't like, hey, we're going to raise taxes on business to fund important public priorities. Let's do a punitive thing to to tax them and to punish them for being, you know, well, the capitalist. You're sort of that was a, that was Shama's act. You're sort of right? acting I mean, like Amazon is a person that responds to insults and has their feelings hurt. And I don't think that that's like an accurate read of a company. I mean, they did get taxed. So either way, I mean, yeah. the, the the thing they didn't want happened. And I don't think it's because Shama hurt their their personal feelings that oh. they that they. Oh, I think in changed. the I think in the executive suites at, at Amazon and going all the way up to Jeff Bezos, I think there has been you know in some ways a, quite an emotional reaction to you know the the kind of perceived hostility that exists between. Um, uh, the city council or city government and the and, and the company and I and I do think they're they're kind of turned towards Bellevue. I mean, uh, Andy Jassy, the current CEO, has sort of talked about. I, I, I think the unfortunate thing is they are making big, much bigger civic investments in things like housing right now. It's just they're not putting that focus on Seattle anymore. They're doing it out in the suburbs and places like Bellevue where they're spending hundreds of millions of dollars on, on, uh, you know, big housing initiatives and stuff like that because, well, no, because no, I, okay, of the tension. Okay. Yeah. Spending, yeah. spending, and let's, let's not misrepresent that. They're not spending hundreds of million dollars of their own dollars on big housing initiatives. Like let's, yeah. let's, let's, let's keep our facts straight. They're, they're not a, they're not a charity. They're not a charity, but they are making a, uh, they they are engaging civically in a much bigger way nowadays. It's just, unfortunately, I think, not as much in Seattle. Well, in Seattle, we have the Jumpstart Tax, so actually they are contributing a lot more. They're just doing so involuntarily and, and after losing their lawsuit. Right, and and I had, I, you know, and contrary to what people might think, I had no issue with the Jumpstart Tax, particularly at a time when, when Trump and the Republicans nationally had pushed through this huge corporate cut in the corporate tax rate nationally. I think it made made sense to have, you know, um, uh, to, to recoup some of that, um, some of that funding at the, at the local level to, to, uh, to address problems. I did. And I still do. I wonder that the, they created an Amazon only tier of the jumpstart tax. Uh, you know, it's the one thing that, that gave me pause about it. Uh, all right, so let's end by keeping with our 10-point scale, Amazon's, like, helpfulness or harmfulness to Seattle, 10 being the best, zero being the worst. Erica, Amazon's impact. I'm going to give it a five. I, I think I think that a counterfactual, you know, you have to, you have to give it a, a, a rating right in the middle because we don't know. There are good things, there are bad things. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, any other company, I probably would also give a five. So squish, so squish of you, Erica. <laughs> Look, I mean, I, I think yeah. Seattle, Seattle was boring and sucked when I moved here. Um, and right. you know, it's less boring and sucks less. Um, but also, you know, um, I don't know. I, I went on some really, uh, boring Tinder dates with Amazon <laughs> bros. And can you rate those? Uh, you know, oh, 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 so All that's right. what well, five oh, yeah. is good. Oh, my five God. Is good. I, I've never, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, 
Uh, you're dissing the men of Amazon? Is that what's what uh, what uh, Yeah, the, the men of <laughs> Amazon. Dip. Well, uh, sample size, small. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, maybe small in other ways, too, right? Um, uh, so... <laughs> I, I think it's a seven. I think it's a it's a net positive. I do think that that the 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 rapidity of the growth that Amazon helped spark. Um, a lot of that growth was, I think, going to be inevitable anyway. But but nonetheless, um, uh, Amazon did sort of you know with their massive growth as a company, I think did ex- put some of that growth on steroids, accelerated a bit, and so I and I do think there have been some some negative repercussions of that, but overall it's been a net positive. I mean, I, I think a lot of our sort of pious progressive virtue in Seattle, you know, floats on this bottomless sea of new, new tech money. Right. I mean, and without the new tech money, a lot of the sort of um, a lot of the ability of the city to pioneer sort of progressive, you know, tip of the spear policy changes would be much, much reduced, right? You need to, it's the, it's the revenue base that a big company like Amazon creates in Seattle that helps us experiment with big progressive changes. He's Sandeep Kaushik. She's Erica Barnett. I'm David Hyde. You've been listening to Seattle Nice, and you can find us on Patreon at Seattle Nice if you'd like to donate, or if you want to contact us, our messages are open at Twitter. It's at Real Seattle Nice at Twitter. And thanks to everybody for the comments we've been getting, the helpful advice, the donations, and just for listening. Thank you so much for listening. Mm-hmm.